1: Hello, everyone. This is Naishat Gadani coming to you live from Melbourne. I'm the founder of Your Career Down Under, uh, a career coaching company which specializes in helping international graduates and migrants. And it is a beautiful day outside. I just want to be a weatherman on most of the LinkedIn lives. Um, but it is it is just you know absolute joy to be back again after 23 and a half hours back on your LinkedIn screen um, <laughs> and to talk about jobs and career. Uh, I think it is uh, incredibly important to to provide the necessary hope and optimism right now to all those professionals who are struggling, whether you are thinking of finding a job, whether you are thinking of changing your industry or reinventing yourself. Uh, come and watch this LinkedIn live. I think we provide at least 45 minutes every day of useful information and sometimes entertainment also, you know, so that you know, you, you can get the kind of insights and ideas required for you to take the next move. Uh, so that's, that's what me and Caroline Brown does. And uh, this is our 13th week. I think it's 13th week or 12th week. Um but it is going to be an absolutely amazing episode today. Uh this is episode number fifty-five. And we have got a guest all the way from Tassie. Yes, that's right. All the way from Tassie. You know, I know it was it's probably much colder in Tassie uh, you know, than in Melbourne. Uh, so before we introduce the guest, I want to welcome Caroline Brown.
0: Thanks, Nashad. So I was just saying to Jill, we've got the southern states covered today. But yesterday we were in Israel and tomorrow, uh, tonight we're going to be in North Carolina. So we're doing a a virtual tour of the world with um, these LinkedIn Lives. So thanks for joining us, everyone. Today um, we're going to a different part of the employment market. We're looking at graduate employment. So things that you can do to get a job, essentially, if you've graduated or recently graduated, about to graduate, you don't have much experience. The truth is you've got more than you think and more to offer than you think, but it's one of the most challenging uh, parts of uh, your life when, uh, when you're actually just starting out. So today we've got uh, Gillian Harris or Jill Harris from the University of Tasmania and Gillian heads up um, a group of career practitioners there and is a highly experienced career practitioner working with graduates. And we've got Gillian on the, under the spotlight uh, to ask her some questions and, and uh, around this particular topic. So Gillian, thanks thanks for joining us. Um, I guess a good place to start would be what sort of challenges do you see a facing graduates sort of typically but also in this particular market to find a job? What are some of the things they find really confronting? Um,
2: thank you uh, for having me this afternoon. Uh, I think uh, to answer your question, Carolyn, uh, there's a range of challenges and, of course, first and foremost is that there has been um, very much slowing down in um, in recruitment um, over the last few months. So that's presented a real challenge uh, to what is already a challenging time. Mm. Um, One of the things that I want to convey to students is please ensure that your application um, package for employment is perfect, you know, um, I have students coming back to me, I can work with students up to two years graduated at the University of Tasmania. So I have students coming back to me who say I can't get a job, I can't get a job, um, it's been six months, I've applied for, you know, 50 jobs. The first place I'll start is with their application package and more often than not, that's that's where the problem is. So. Um, with our, with our students, we make sure that they understand completely about how to present an uh, ATS-friendly uh, resume and why they have to present it that way, why they have to address selection criteria uh, in the way that, that we teach them, and the importance of a well-structured cover letter. That's the very start of their application process, and there's no point going any further unless that package is perfect, mm. then we know that um, they can go forward confidently. So, um, in terms of other challenges, I do see a lot of students not thinking broadly enough. Mm. So, we might have students who for example, Bachelor of Accounting students, or Masters of Accounting students, only thinking about those mainstream accountancy firms, Mm. um, whereas they should be looking very broadly um, at all large organisations who require the services of good business background. Mm. Um, So that would be, particularly in Tasmania, there The limited opportunities here. So, um, in teaching those students to cast their net much further than they are, to mm. look at regional areas as well, um, then they they are then broadening their their opportunity for gaining employable work. Mm.
0: It's interesting. Um, a couple of years ago, I was doing a presentation at RMIT to graduates, and the big message was exactly what you've said around graduate roles: is those graduate employers are great at marketing themselves, and you think that if you don't crack those, there's something wrong with you. But I always say, you know, you have to have everything in order, and the stars need to be aligned for the every single time you have a touch point to actually get those roles and. Um, There are fantastic careers that you can have outside of those um you know outside of that starting point basically so yeah it's interesting um that you actually say that so yeah
1: um
0: what about so so into just going back to you you know just talking about an application pack so in that you're talking about a resume a selection criteria uh, interview a cover letter. Is
2: there anything else that in in that that they need to really focus on? Um, once we once we get them across the line for that interview, then we have a wonderful platform of information to students that they can. Um, create a mock interview for themselves and play it back, which is really incredibly important so that they can just study their body language, they can study any mannerisms in their speech. Uh, So that is quite valuable. We don't actually offer mock interviews face-to-face anymore because we find that that platform excellent. The, The three main documents, of course, are uh, the cover letter, the resume, and the selection criteria. Our international students don't know about selection criteria, mm. and so uh, we we go through that quite thoroughly with them. It's it's uh, I think it's an Australian beast, and <laughs> beast <laughs> is the right word. <laughs> and so there's that lack of understanding about how to answer those questions and the importance of. Providing great examples, yeah. uh, particularly for government jobs and and you know for jobs like the university um, that require that STAR technique to be to be addressed. Yeah. So um, I place a great deal of emphasis on a resume as well. So we I see resumes coming through with bells and whistles and symbols and you know all sorts of things shouting at me. And whilst they might look really effective. Um, they don't work you know mm. in in, a, in an application um, that they're not effective so we recommend very plain word document no templates no text boxes no photos no columns you know the whole the whole mm. works just in case those scanning tools are being implemented Um mm. Sometimes I see students who've worked on their resume for quite some time and they're beautifully constructed and they they look really effective with, you know, coloured background and, you know, the whole works. And I'll say to them, look, if you really want to use this, ring the employer and ask them if they're going to be implementing a scanning tool to read your resume first. Mm -hmm. And if not, then go with a resume like that if you want, but it's not what we recommend. Mm -hmm we yeah, have um sorry no, again. So, sorry we've developed a resume builder as well yeah. so that students can load in their information and that builds their resume and then they can they've got the basic document and they can then go on and um add some subtle design and, and a little bit of subtle color if they want
1: mm. I think that reminds me the uh, the tool that you are you know, using to interview mock preparation is, is you know, very effective, I would think, because, you know, a lot of the time, it's how we are perceived. It's very difficult to to understand how we are perceived. And as we all know, body language, tonality of your voice and voice is the last, or the text is the last thing that matters. You know, I, I remember, you know, a lot of people used to say that you and your brother sound exactly the same on the phone. And I said, no, that's not possible, right? Now, it was in only was possible once i listened to myself how i sound on the phone i said oh god yeah i do exactly sound like that so that's how the perception in my view uh, makes a difference and on the on the same note if i can say linkedin has now come up with similar uh, you know pro you know similar platform where you can actually you know put around 25 questions and you can answer them and i think there is an there is an ai system that sits in the background analyzes and would give you some kind of a response or feedback which mm. will be you know pretty fascinating for people to start to improve their interview techniques if I, if I can ask you the question around most of the time graduates required to have at least 15 years of experience to apply for an entry-level role right mm-hmm. <laughs> I, so um... <laughs> how how do, how do they go above uh you know this experience because you know, and why I say that? for A couple of reasons. One is, you know, my, uh, you know, uh, sort of, you know, one of the area that I work with is international graduates and they are experiencing this left, right, and center every yes. day. Yes. And I would imagine that even the, the students who have studied, who born, brought up and studied here, they would also, you know, face similar challenges around their experiences. What's your take on on explaining those things or how do you overcome those objections
2: so you're right um even the graduate positions that are advertised as graduate which to me is um entry-level uh, require sometimes require upwards of two to five years experience so um one of the things I say to a student when I'm talking to them in a face-to-face consultancy is what are you doing to set yourself apart from the rest of the cohort you're currently studying this degree with. What are you doing to enhance your degree? So it's not okay now just to do a degree. Um, That student has to be also looking at the end prize, that job, and while they progress through university, what are they doing uh, in order to make them more employable? So we know that that sometimes is getting industry experience. So, part-time job because we know that transferable skills are really key. Um, Volunteering, we're very, very big on volunteering because also that can give industry experience. I've got one student at the moment who's doing a brilliant job volunteering at the Red Cross. Data collecting, okay, which is in his area, so he is gaining valuable experience. It's it's not paid, but it is experience and then he will be able to, to um, evidence that in his application. The other thing is that uh, we offer a jobs on campus initiative at UTAS where we employ, uh, up until COVID-19, we employed more than 200 students on campus across our three campuses in Tasmania and campuses in Sydney as well. This is also a fantastic way for students to gain industry experience. And some of them were working with me as my career peer team. So they're gaining uh, incredible insights into the world of LinkedIn um, and the world of of preparing those applications. So you're right. Um, The other thing, a lot of our students chase down uh, internships. I'm uh, My team and I are a little bit worried about um, internships. They um, can dance along the fine line of, of exploitation in some cases. Mm. So um, we would recommend that students look very, very carefully if there is an opportunity for internships. Some students feel that that's the only way they're going to get industry experience. Whereas in actual fact, I think um, a part time job in an area that is reasonably related. So, for example, if we've got a Bachelor of Business student um, who is progressing through their degree, you know, they might be working part time in office administration. That's a great initiative to help them understand, um, the, you know, how an office operates give them some industry um, and workplace etiquette and industry knowledge as well. So uh, we do a lot around finding a part-time job and that would be the way that they could then evidence that industry experience. Mm. It's
0: tough, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, from time to time worked with people on graduate applications and the, the competencies are quite high level a lot of the time and expected mm. to demonstrate them at, at quite high level and, you know, expected to study, work part-time, volunteer, lead the community, da 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 da, da. I was like, <laughs> that wasn't my, my days at uni. <laughs> like the pub across the road was really nice <laughs> at times. So, <laughs> sure. you know, it's really, yeah, I think we ask a lot from for people as well. So, yes. Um, yes, we do. But it's, yeah, I mean, I guess it is It is what it is. I wanted to ask you about um, the idea about networking, because we do know that a lot of jobs aren't advertised, or you can put yourself uh, higher up the pecking order if you know somebody and get referred. Um, what's, it, what's your take on sort of the number of jobs that are advertised versus um, not advertised? Do you see a lot of the hidden job market at play?
2: Uh, we have an incredible hidden job market in Tasmania. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I don't know the statistics, but I think that they would be very strong. Yeah. So, my, um, my recommendation is to network and network really big. So, um, that's. That's something that they can be doing. So students can be doing that now, from from you know the comfort of their own home, is is networking extensively, um, to find out how they might go about. Oh, let's use LinkedIn for an example. Every single one of the students that come to see me um, to prepare for their uh, employment package, I ask if they've got a LinkedIn profile. If they haven't got one, get one and then put it on their resume, uh, Mm. which they do. So all of their LinkedIn profiles are listed on their resume. But use LinkedIn to connect with organisations, research organisations through job search uh, websites, through Google, you know, um, just walking around looking at what's happening outside and start researching those large organisations, start following them, start looking at who works within those organisations. We know that the more active we are in LinkedIn, the more momentum is there through that news feed. So then we see the more opportunity for jobs, the more opportunity for professional development, conferencing, all of those extra you know incredibly important uh, networking Mm. opportunities so um, at this time when we're not actively being out and networking physically there's an incredible amount that we can be doing uh, through um, LinkedIn to network Mm. Um, let me tell you a an example of networking so Uh, I was speaking to one of my students who was based in the north of the state. She had been, she had lost her position due to COVID-19 in a a hotel and her question to me was, I'm studying a Diploma of Tourism, I'm about to finish that. Should I do a Bachelor of Business in Management or a Bachelor of Business in Marketing or a Bachelor of Business in Tourism. Excuse me. <clears throat> my my answer to her was, OK, let's do some research and let's look at what some people on LinkedIn in those roles um, actually have. So we knew that there was a new hotel being built in her region. And I said, let's use that as an example. We Googled the, the name of the new hotel. We Googled the name of the new general manager who turned out to be a UTAS alumni, having studied a Bachelor of Business Administration. And I said, well, there's your answer. OK, mm. let's go one further. Let's um, contact this person and let's ask her for her advice. Mm. Don't ask her for a job. Ask her for her advice. And... Um, this this new general manager had also started her career with Federal Hotels in Tasmania who is a large employer of choice here um, and so this was exactly what this student was looking for real tangible evidence that networking works so Mm. she she made contact with the general manager and i'm yet to hear the outcome but i'm looking forward to hearing that so don't just hop on to linkedin and ask for that job um i think there's a big difference in asking for the job and asking for advice but um this was a, a great example of my students networking and she found out the answer
0: to a question as
1: well Mm. yeah yeah i think most of you know a lot of the time in my view i was speaking to a graduate yesterday and he's got a two year of gap you know he's been working in hospitality. he's done international business i think uh, from uh, melbourne university uh and uh, not not university of melbourne but a university of uh, you know, you know nearby, and he's. I said, "What are you looking for?" He said, "I'm, I'm looking for a job," and then he told me something, and I said, "But I, if I don't get there, I don't know. I, I, think you don't have the clarity required to, you know, to, to, to create a pathway for you into the jobs." And, and I said, "Don't pursue a go, pursue a career because it's, it's glamorous and it, it is, it looks amazing on a piece of paper." I said. Have you spoken to people who have taken that path before to really understand whether that's a career for you or not, or whether that's a job for you or not? I think there's so, too much things that is required in order for you to even start there, you know, you know, following that path. How much value do you put into that people have the clarity? uh you know before they even start to network or start to build their resume and and do everything else what how much importance is the clarity of the goal
2: I think that we need particularly now need to consider our goals to be very fluid um and if our students are looking at one goal that's very set I think that they can filter out a whole range of other opportunities. So I think that goals are great, but fluid goals are better because they might not realise when opportunities come along uh, because it's not exactly related to their end goal. Um, we have graduates working in all sorts of different sectors that weren't related to their first um, their first degree or their second degree. Um, I have a colleague who has a a phd in biology and she's um she's a career development advisor so um i think that if we can use that that foundation of that degree or that postgraduate study to drive to springboard into a career it doesn't necessarily have to be what you've studied it mm. could be related, but it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly so. That's why I'm saying when when we first started talking, think broadly. You know, mm. don't don't fool yourself out of opportunities by just having that tunnel vision. Okay, mm. because that's when um, we keep hearing, "I can't get a job," "I can't get a job," and it's because of that tunnel vision um, mm. that that it's not happening. So if you broaden out your your you know sort of your search and your opportunities when we do searches for jobs in Tasmania for example if I'm working for with a student who is living in Hobart one of the first things I'll say to them is where do you live are you prepared to travel What's your family situation (laughs) like? I go into all of this background because it is a holistic approach. We do need to think about all these variables, but then we need to open up the search as wide as possible. So if a student says to me, I only want to stay in Southern Tasmania or I only want to stay in Hobart, okay, let's search all of Southern Tasmania. And that's our only filter on a search. We only search Southern Tasmania and we look at everything. So um, we don't filter ourselves out of potential roles. So if we put in a, into a filter business, for example, you know, you might actually, um, you might have missed out on a whole range of opportunities just by using those filters. So clarity is great. Goals are great. But I think definitely you need to roll with the goals and you need to make sure that your vision is as broad as possible, so that you don't filter out, you know, those opportunities. Does that does that yeah. answer that question, Nate?
0: Yeah, it does. And like Nate and I have talked about, and a lot of other people have talked about, you know, an ingredient to enjoying, or ingredient to successfully finding a job and then enjoying that job is having a yeah. level of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So. You might have a broader, broader vision, but if you and when you're networking, you take that curiosity around. Well, what could that be like? What does that involve day to day? What do you enjoy about it? And it's a genuine curiosity. It does, um, you know, open open up your eyes. And then, you know, you can develop your LinkedIn profile around that. You can develop your resume around that. But that curiosity is, um, you know, a really key ingredient. And you know it, it opens up a conversation because you, you're not saying that you have experience at all it's like i'm just genuinely curious about finding out whether that's a you know a good option for me to pursue and i've had a few clients that you know that's actually worked um in terms of networking so um you know I people have responded to that sincerity of
2: that students don't actually recognize their transferable skills very well yeah. either yeah. and um I was recently speaking with a PhD student he said oh, I've got no idea what to do and and I said "Well, okay let's talk about your skills mm. and um, you know he said but I've got no skills mm. <laughs> okay you've got you've got research you've got communication you've got all of these skills and he goes that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> so, okay go with it you know like if you look at a job that might be right out of your um, comfort zone and your field, you might actually match that job with those transferable skills. So mm. um, he it really opened up his eyes to the importance of transferable skills mm. and, um, you know, that you don't necessarily have to stay on that, that road that you started off on.
0: Mm.
2: What about, oh, you've got a question, Nish?
1: No, 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 no questions. I'm, I'm just going to announce that if you've got questions for Jillian, please feel free to drop it in, in the LinkedIn live feed and we will, uh, you know, ask those questions to, to Gillian. Go ahead, Kim.
0: Sure. Um, Just around volunteer work, um, how do you talk about that on your, your resume? Do you talk about it as this is a volunteer period or do you talk about it as, you know, what that organisation does and what you did within that. What's what's your because I, I get a lot of questions around that as well. I imagine people watching that. It, you know, we tell people to volunteer, and it's like, well, how do how do I perceive that, and how do other people perceive that, and how do you know you take that seriously as experience?
2: Um, in the ideal world, you would be volunteering in an area that aligns with what you're studying, um, yeah. or you know, that's not always possible. But you are still developing those. Uh, key transferable skills. Uh, we, I always recommend that my students have a volunteering section on their resume.
1: Mm. Uh,
2: they will talk about the skills that they have uh, developed. They can talk about achievements if they want to. They can talk about, um, you know, the impact that they've had in in uh, working within that that mm. program. Um, I, it, and it's not all about volunteering just as a tick on your resume, I, mm. I, you know, and I really want to stress that, you know, I don't encourage students to go out and volunteer just so that they can, you know, tick that box on their resume. It, it really is about giving back to the community, but it's also an incredible networking opportunity. Mm. Um, so... A lot of times I have seen volunteering opportunities turn into part-time jobs, which have turned into full-time jobs, or they might be referred on to their, you know, their umbrella organisation or whatever. So um, volunteering is, we're very big on it. Um, And it it could look like all sorts of different things. It could be within the local... Um, university community it could be within your local community it could be your own initiative so we know that one of the key skills employers are looking for is initiative and entrepreneurship so mm. you can actually have evidence that in your key skills section on your resume um, you can re- you can evidence on your in your key skills section you know what you've developed in that volunteering you don't have to be paid Mm. in order to be able to evidence a skill I, I strongly believe that so volunteering is a very important component of preparing yourself for the world of work I think it helps you understand how organizations work mm. how sometimes that there are less fortunate peoples than ourselves and how we can work to assist them but it also assists, you know, the student who is working with them in the, in the long run as well. Mm. So it has this wonderful twofold effect, I suppose. Mm. Um, and I definitely think that students should list their volunteering. Employers are definitely looking for it. They want to see community awareness and community involvement. Uh, so I think that, it, you know, it's definitely something that employers are looking for as well.
0: Mm. It's interesting. I was uh, sorry, Nash. You are going to say,
1: yeah. I just just had a question about uh, you know the, a lot of the time employers you know typically in a very entry level roles, they want the 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 job seeker to go through some psych testing, or various ones depending upon what, you know which kind of tools do they prefer. What are your kind of top tips on? on dealing with those psych tests, Uh, you know, and yes, KB, then you can probably ask the other question.
2: (laughs) I don't don't know much about psych tests. I've kind of stayed away from them purposely (laughs) (laughs) because they freak me out. (laughs) (laughs) I would think I would fail a psych test. Um, A lot of it's perception. So being able to perceive what is being asked, being able to read quickly um, and understand what you're reading is often the best uh, advice I could give a student. So often those psych tests are also not developed to be finished as well. So students will come back uh, uh, quite worried that oh I didn't finish it. Don't worry about that because they're not designed to be finished. There are there are books and information out there on preparation um, for psych testing and depending what it looks like, lots of organisations use different types of um, testing and I'm seeing different trends in different organisations where um, there's, I think it's one of the big four banks has thrown out the need for a resume and they're bringing people in to into group um, situations, mm. which I think is wonderful. So, um, It depends on the industry, which will depend on the psych test that's being um, conducted, but the best, yes, the best advice I can give is read, practice reading quickly, look at the organisation to see if they've got any examples online, Um, look at other organisations and just get yourself familiar with the, um the psych test that's being you know that that that's out there that we can read about Mm. Um, learn to read quickly and perceive information yeah
0: Mm. i think they're really challenging and actually a few years back um one of my clients was an older graduate she'd been a software engineer and she'd studied accounting and then she was going for uh the big four um graduate programs and she did something that was really quite smart she used to go around the um, graduate field you know campus days that they'd have and get to know the recruiter and they that was recruiting and they'd say I'll oh, look out for your resume so she talk, talked about that as like making sure she got on the, that list yes. but then what happened was she went to do the online psych tests and things like that and she was she was she was so disappointed because they were just so fast and she really felt it, it did. Uh, favor i guess a younger more you know just just from a, a quickness um point of view on on the computer as well so I, I think she ended up getting interviews but yeah she was really um you know it really struck her at, at just how hard they were to to actually get through so because um, they get masses and masses of applications and yeah. they need to you know cull them down and cull them down and doesn't necessarily mean that the best people are getting those
2: jobs as well exactly right yeah yeah. so your client may have been very thorough whereas a a client who might have been quicker at those tests might not actually be the ideal candidate
0: i have seen people um being coached on those as well um from like individuals i've seen yes. a coach on them and also organizations i don't know who they are but i have heard of there are organizations out there that can help you and then i guess you've got to look at what your end goal is you know like yes. is this real like because the other thing about those programs is they have a lot of attrition so yes. you know three or four years they, they really work graduates hard especially the big four and then you know, a lot of them go, my God, this is what I signed up for. And that recruitment process doesn't quite match what they're aiming for, for longevity. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is probably not the the be-all to end-all by all means. And And I'll probably never get a job at KPMG having said this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But um, you may also um, have worked with the clients at the other end of that experience and you're seeing burnt-out people, you're seeing... You're seeing people who have worked until 11 or 12 o'clock at night because that's what's expected of a graduate. Mm. And then all of a sudden there's that clarity around, well, is this what I really want for Mm. the rest of my life? And so a lot of people just can't sustain it. And Mm. I certainly wouldn't recommend it. So Mm. I've certainly worked with students coming back to study after, you know, sort of being in that situation and having complete career changes. Yeah. Um, so looking at, you know, the importance of, of their life and their health and their, you know, their well-being, wellbeing and, and having those complete career changes after such a stressful, uh, you know, a stressful experience. So in terms of psychometric testing, I think my best advice would be to learn how to read quickly and learn how to perceive information quickly um, look at online at any guidelines there might be. Be careful if you choose a preparation course because sometimes those preparation courses are wildly expensive mm. and they may not really deliver, you know, they well, they can't guarantee you the job. So... Mm um you have you do have to weigh that up so just do your homework around those those preparation courses as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah we've got a uh we've got a comment about um you know from vandana she says that the people are not self-aware and rather sometimes they don't acknowledge themselves enough about their skills and i think remember that uh early morning chat that we had when we were testing this platform <laughs> you know then you your your uh, comment about their career practitioners suffer from imposter syndrome a lot <laughs> okay. uh you know which is which it seems to be true i think um, you know just because of you know whether i'm doing it right whether there are other avenues that i'm not explored whether can i give this person a new approach different direction everything else and that just keeps on playing in the head in the background uh, you know, but but I think it is it is a time for for graduates to trust uh, themselves, trust in the skills that they've learned, and uh, you know, power along. Before we finish, uh, Jill, because we are coming to an end, what are your things that you want the graduates to do now? You know, especially around COVID nineteen, and we don't know, nobody knows how quick the recovery would be. Uh, and whether the the market would open up for entry level or graduate roles, although when we did remember KB when we did the um, the I think the third or fourth LinkedIn live, uh, we had a couple of graduate uh, recruiters and one of them said that the you know companies are not not kind of you know delaying the graduate recruitment at all but we don't know, uh, you know, whether that is all across the board or only some companies. So what are your, you know, tips around to graduates? How do you, how do they manage themselves around COVID-19?
2: Um, we're still seeing the graduate opportunities being advertised for 2021. So ensure that you've got your applications in for those. And even though most of that recruitment is at the beginning of the year sort of you know, March, April ready for the following year um, commencement. I am still seeing some coming through. So make sure you're aware of that. Um, Your university, whichever university that um, you're attending, will have career services that will support you. Um, So it's really important that you're starting off with a great application package. Make sure that that application package you're confident in, that it has highlighted your skills um, to the best of your ability. And so make sure you make an appointment to see a a careers advisor at your university. Um, As I said, we can work with graduates up to two years out. I'm not sure about other universities whether they can do that or not. But the other thing is that I have worked with a lot of graduates who have consistently applied for jobs, and have consistently been rejected. Some of my graduates are getting to interview every time, um, but there are only a limited amount of jobs for a lot of applicants. So, you do need to look after your your well-being, um, because that constant rejection can have a real impact on your well-being. So. Um, building up your resilience, taking a walk in the sun, listening to great music, all of that stuff is really important. And just being aware that there will be a whole series of rejections before you just get that one person that says, yes, we really want you to come and work for us, that happens. Mm -hmm. So um, I think um, making sure that you are also engaged you don't have to be employed to be engaged okay so ensure that you're still actively engaged with your community that um that you're volunteering that you're very actively engaged with uh, networks like or platforms like linkedin talking to people on linkedin um, because we know that the more um, the more you're involved in that platform, the more momentum you gain. So, um, and don't just apply for one job at a time. So, I know that some organisations, some large organisations, can be 12 weeks from start to finish, you know, in the application process. And that's definitely not what we want to see. We don't want to see an applicant have one job application in, wait that whole process to be then told no we've we've found someone else so um start a spreadsheet you know write down all of the um applications you've got in make sure you're tracking them with opening and closing dates if you've got an interview what the interview might look like um, and keep applying just keep applying Mm. be aware though also when your phone rings It could be a phone interview that might be coming out of the blue (laughs) that happened to one of my students recently and caught him completely off guard. We should have realised that that might happen, but we didn't actually preempt that. So um, if the phone rings, always um, answer it, you know, on your best behaviour because it could be... (laughs) It just could be uh, that out of the blue phone call that um, turns into an interview.
0: It's very good advice. I know
2: like lots of
0: people have been caught out like that, with, you know, not being prepared or picking up the phone thinking it was somebody else. And Yeah. Um, I mean, good recruiters do say, is this a good time and can we have a chat about the job? But every phone call you're being screened, you're not so ever you going to say, no, question. this is not a good time. No. No. No, no, you're not I mean, going to well, do that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: always
0: fabulous. So yeah, Nesh, have we got any more questions at all? Or? Uh, no,
1: no, no questions. But, you know, Jill, thank you very much. Look, yeah. you know, for the time, I'm pretty sure that people will find this useful, you know, to, you know especially the graduates who are probably, you know, hurting the most right now and, yes. and international graduates. hurting the most right or they wish that they would would have would would have graduated 2019 or 2021 Um, not in 2020 Uh, so but you know thank you for spending some time and your advice has been very very valuable
2: thank you for the invitation it's been an absolute delight Fantastic.
0: So yeah, thanks, Gillian. It's been great. And um, I'm sure you can hope and really some really practical advice. One of the things I think that people don't realise is the fact that you can go back to your uni careers place. Most of them do offer that support two years up. And that's amazing. I wish that was there in my day, um, many, many moons ago. (laughs) I might have still been at the pub. No, I wasn't, Um, (laughs) but yeah, definitely, you know, if you're struggling and also the fantastic free resources as well. So um, yeah, Um, just a few things. Follow the hashtag career care package to keep up to date with what we've got going on. So you can watch the past few recent episodes. We are developing a YouTube channel and we're going to upload a lot of these, these interviews as another resource. Um, I'll put the link to sign up to get daily notifications of what's coming up. And we have a special session, in global international session this evening at 10 o'clock. So pour a cocoa, glass of wine, whatever. Whiskey is probably more appropriate at that time. I'm not completely obsessed by drinking, by the way. So, <laughs> um, uh, We've got Steve Dalton, the author of The Two-Hour Job Search, and he has a wonderful practical step-by-step guide to set up your, a successful job search within two hours and also to network. And he takes the pain around networking with an amazing structured approach. So make sure you tune in. It'll be a, a wonderful interview with Steve. And um, I'll leave you to the sign off, Nish.
1: Thank you very much, Carolyn. And that's right. So tonight, uh, 10 p.m. Melbourne time, we'll be back again on your LinkedIn screen. So you can make chai, you can have, as you know, KB alluded to, wine, anything. But make sure that you are there. I think it's going to be fascinating chat. Um, just not that we've got somebody from U.S., but we got somebody really insightful from U.S. Uh, You know, and that's very important. So we really look forward to seeing you in next uh, six hours again. Uh, Until then, have a good evening and see you later, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au And if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.